Section 16 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 1 by James Boswell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A projected parliamentary history, ITAR 33. A very diligent observer may trace him where we should not easily suppose him to be found. I have no doubt that he wrote the little abridgment entitled foreign history in the magazine for december to prove it i shall quote the introduction as this is that season of the year in which nature may be said to command a suspension of hostilities and which seems intended by putting a short stop to violence and slaughter to afford time for malice to relent and animosity to subside we can scarce expect any other accounts than of plans negotiations and treaties of proposals for peace and preparations for war as also this passage let those who despise the capacity of the swiss tell us by what wonderful policy or by what happy conciliation of interests it is brought to pass that in a body made up of different communities and different religions there should be no civil commotions footnote in the original contentions end of footnote though the people are so warlike that to nominate and raise an army is the same i am obliged to mr astol footnote december the twenty first seventeen seventy five in the paper office there is a white called thomas astor who lives like moths on old parchments walpole's letters volume six page two nine nine in the footnote for his ready permission to copy the two following letters of which the originals are in his possession their contents show that they were written about this time and that Johnson was now engaged in preparing an historical account of the British Parliament. To Mr. Cave, no date, sir. I believe I am going to write a long letter, and have therefore taken a whole sheet of paper. The first thing to be written about is our historical design. You mentioned the proposal of printing in numbers as an alteration in the scheme, but I believe you mistook some way or other my meaning. I had no other view than that you might rather print too many of five sheets than of five and thirty. With regard to what I shall say on the manner of proceeding, I would have it understood as wholly indifferent to me and my opinion only, not my resolution. Emptoris sit adicere. I think the insertion of the exact dates of the most important events in the margin, or of so many events as may enable the reader to regulate the order of facts with sufficient exactness, the proper medium between a journal, which has regard only to time, and a history, which ranges facts according to their dependence on each other, and postpones or anticipates according to the convenience of narration i think the work ought to partake of the spirit 
of history, which is contrary to minute exactness, and of the regularity of a journal, which is inconsistent with spirit. For this reason I neither admit numbers or dates, nor reject them. I am of your opinion with regard to placing most of the resolutions, etc., in the margin, and think we shall give the most complete account of parliamentary proceedings that can be contrived. The naked papers, without an historical treatise interwoven, require some other book to make them understood. I will date these succeeding facts with some exactness, but I think in the margin. Payment for work, Anno Domini, 1742. You told me on Saturday that I had received money on this work and found set down thirteen pounds two and sixpence, reckoning the half-guinea of last Saturday. As you hinted to me that you had many calls for money, I would not press you too hard, and therefore shall desire only, as I send it in, two guineas for a sheet of copy. The rest you may pay me when it may be more convenient, and even by this sheet payment I shall for some time be very expensive. The life of Savage, footnote, Savage died on August the 1st, 1743, so that this letter is misplaced, end footnote. I am ready to go upon, and in great primer and piker notes I reckon on sending in half a sheet a day, but the money for that shall likewise lie by in your hands till it is done. With the debates, shall not I have business enough? If I had but good pens. Towards Mr. Savage's life, what more have you got? I would willingly have his trial, etc., and know whether his defence be at Bristol, and would have his collection of poems on account of the preface. The Plain Dealer, footnote, The Plain Dealer was published in 1724 and contained some account of Savage Possible, end footnote. All the magazines that have anything of his or relating to him. I thought my letter would be long, but it is now ended, and I am, sir, yours, etc., Samuel Johnson. The boy found me writing this almost in the dark when I could not quite easily read yours. I have read the Italian. Nothing in it is well. I had no notion of having anything for the inscription. Footnote. In the Gentleman's Magazine for September 1743, page 490, there is an epitaph on R.S. Esquire, which may perhaps be this inscription. His life was want, this epitaph declares. It is certainly not the runic inscription in the number for March 1742, as Malone suggests, for the earliest possible date of this letter is 17 months later. End of footnote. I hope you don't think I kept it to extort a price. I could think of nothing at all today. If you could spare me another guinea for the history, I should take it very kindly tonight. But if you do not, I shall not think it an injury. I am almost well again. To Mr. K. Sir, 
you did not tell me your determination about the soldier's letter footnote i have not discovered what this was boswell end of footnote which i am confident was never printed i think it will not do by itself or in any other place so well as in the mag extraordinary footnote the mag extraordinary is perhaps the supplement to the december number of each year end of footnote if you will have it at all i believe you do not think i set it high and i will be glad if what you give you give quickly you need not be in care about something to print for i have got the state trials and shall extract layer atterbury and macclesfield from them and shall bring them to you in a fortnight after which i will try to get the south sea report no date or signature i would also ascribe to him an essay on the description of china from the french of duhald dagger footnote this essay contains one sentiment eminently johnsonian the writer had shown how patiently confucius endured extreme indigence he adds this constancy cannot raise our admiration after his former conquest of himself for how easily may he support pain who has been able to resist pleasure gentleman's magazine volume twelve page three five five end of footnote at laurum paritoram epigramma itar thirty three his writings in the gentleman's magazine in seventeen forty three are the preface dagger footnote in this preface there is a complaint that has been often repeated all kinds of learning have given way to politics End of footnote. the parliamentary debates dagger considerations on the dispute between crusades footnote in the life of pope johnson's works volume eight page two eight seven johnson says that crusades however little known or regarded here was no mean antagonist End of footnote. and warburton on pope's essay on man dagger in which while he defends crusades he shows an admirable metaphysical acuteness and temperance in controversy footnote. it is not easy to believe that boswell had read this essay but there is nothing metaphysical in what johnson wrote two-thirds of the paper are a translation from crusades boswell does not seem to have distinguished between crusades's writings and johnson's we have here a striking instance of the way in which cave sometimes treated his readers one-third of this essay is given in the number for march the rest in the number for november End of footnote. ad laurum pariturum epigramma asterisk footnote angliacas interpolcerima laura puellas mox uteri pondus depositura grave adsit laura tibi facilis lucina donenti neve tibi noceat praentuisse dei mr hector was present when this epigram was made impromptu 
the first line was proposed by dr james and johnson was called upon by the company to finish it which he instantly did boswell macaulay essays volume one page three six four criticizes mr croker's criticism of this epigram and a footnote and a latin translation of pope's verses on his grotto asterisk footnote the lines with which this poem is introduced seem to show that it cannot be johnson's he was not the man to allow that haste of performance was any plea for indulgence they are as follows though several translations of mr pope's verses on his grotto have already appeared we hope that the following attempt which we are assured was the casual amusement of half an hour during several solicitations to proceed will neither be unacceptable to our readers nor these circumstances considered dishonour the persons concerned by a hasty publication gentleman's magazine volume thirteen page five fifty and a footnote and as he could employ his pen with equal success upon a small matter as a great i suppose him to be the author of an advertisement for osborne concerning the great harleian catalogue footnote see gentleman's magazine volume thirteen page five sixty i doubt whether this advertisement be from johnson's hand it is very unlikely that he should make the advertiser in one and the same paragraph when speaking of himself use us and mine boswell does not mention the preface to volume three of the harleian catalogue it is included in johnson's works volume five page one nine eight its author be he who he may in speaking of literature says i have idly hoped to revive a taste well nigh extinguished End of footnote. friendship anode anno domini seventeen forty three but i should think myself much wanting both to my illustrious friend and my readers did i not introduce here with more than ordinary respect an exquisitely beautiful ode which has not been inserted in any of the collections of johnson's poetry written by him at a very early period as mr hector informs me and inserted in the gentleman's magazine of this year friendship anode asterisk friendship peculiar boon of heaven the noble mind's delight and pride to men and angels only given to all the lower world denied while love unknown among the blest parent of a thousand wild desires the savage and the human breast torments alike with raging fires with bright but oft destructive gleam alike o'er all his lightnings fly thy lambent glories only beam around the favourites of the sky thy gentle flows of guiltless joys on fools and villains ne'er descend in vain for thee the tyrant sighs and hugs a flatterer for a friend directress of the brave and just o oh, guide us through life's darksome way 
and let the tortures of mistrust on selfish bosoms only prey nor shall thine ardours cease to glow when souls to blissful climes remove what raised our virtue here below shall aid our happiness above dr james and dr mead Itard thirty four johnson had now an opportunity of obliging his schoolfellow dr james of whom he once observed no man brings more mind to his profession Footnote. johnson did not speak equally well of dr james's morals he will not he wrote pay for three box tickets which he took it is a strange fellow the tickets were no doubt for miss williams's benefit croker's boswell octavo page one o one see ante page eighty one and post march the twenty eighth seventeen seventy six end of seventeen eighty note end of footnote james published this year his medicinal dictionary in three volumes folio johnson as i understood from him had written or assisted in writing the proposals for this work and being very fond of the study of physic in which james was his master he furnished some of the articles he however certainly wrote for it the dedication to dr mead dagger which is conceived with great address to conciliate the patronage of that very eminent man Footnote to dr mead sir that the medicinal dictionary is dedicated to you is to be imputed only to your reputation for superior skill in those sciences which i have endeavoured to explain and facilitate you are therefore to consider this address if it be agreeable to you as one of the rewards of merit and if otherwise as one of the inconveniences of eminence however you shall receive it my design cannot be disappointed because this public appeal to your judgment will show that i do not found my hopes of approbation upon the ignorance of my readers and that i fear his censure least whose knowledge is most extensive i am sir your most obedient humble servant r james boswell see post may the sixteenth seventeen seventy eight where johnson said dr mead lived more in the broad sunshine of life than almost any man End of footnote. dr birch anno domini seventeen forty three it has been circulated i know not with what authenticity that johnson considered dr birch as a dull writer and said of him tom birch is as brisk as a bee in conversation but no sooner does he take a pen in his hand than it becomes a torpedo to him and benumbs all his faculties Footnote. johnson was used to speak of him in this manner tom is a lively rogue he remembers a great deal and can tell many pleasant stories but a pen is to tom a torpedo the touch of it benumbs his hand and his brain Hawkins's Johnson, page 209. Goldsmith, in his Life of Nash, Cunningham's Goldsmith's Works, volume 4, page 54, says, 
Nash was not born a writer, for whatever humour he might have in conversation, he used to call a pen his torpedo. Whenever he grasped it, it benumbed all his faculties. It is very likely that Nash borrowed this saying from Johnson. In Boswell's Hebrides, September the 24th, 1773, we read, Dr. Birch being mentioned, Dr. Johnson said he had more anecdotes than any man. I said, Percy had a great many, that he flowed with them like one of the brooks here. Johnson, if Percy is like one of the brooks here, Birch was like the River Thames. Birch excelled Percy in that as much as Percy excels Goldsmith. Disraeli, Curiosities of Literature, Volume 3, page 425, describes Dr. Birch as one to whom British history stands more indebted than to any superior author. He has enriched the British Museum by thousands of the most authentic documents of genuine secret history. End of footnote. That the literature of this country is much indebted to Birch's activity and diligence must certainly be acknowledged. We have seen that Johnson honoured him with a Greek epigram, footnote, ante, page 140, end of and his correspondence with him during many years proves that he had no mean opinion of him. To Dr. Birch, Thursday, September the 29th, 1743. Sir, I hope you will excuse me for troubling you on an occasion on which I know not whom else I can apply to. I am at a loss for the lives and characters of Earl Stanhope, the two Crags, and the Minister Sunderland, and beg that you will inform, in square brackets, me, where I may find them and send any pamphlets, etc., relating to them to Mr. Cave, to be perused for a few days by Sir Your Most Humble Servant, Samuel Johnson. His circumstances were at this time much embarrassed, yet his affection for his mother was so warm and so liberal that he took upon himself a debt of hers which, though small itself, was then considerable to him. This appears from the following letter which he wrote to Mr. Levet of Lichfield, the original of which lies now before me. To Mr. Levet in Lichfield, December the 1st, 1743, Sir. I am extremely sorry that we have encroached so much upon your forbearance with respect to the interest, which a great perplexity of affairs hindered me from thinking of with that attention that I ought, and which I am not immediately able to remit to you, but will pay it, I think twelve pounds, in two months. I look upon this and on the future interest of that mortgage as my own debt, and beg that you will be pleased to give me directions how to pay it, and not mention it to my dear mother. If it be necessary to pay this in less time, I believe I can do it, but I take two months for certainty and beg an answer whether you can allow me so much time. I think myself very much obliged to your forbearance, and shall esteem it a great happiness to be able to serve you. I have great opportunities of dispersing anything that you may think it proper to make public. Footnote. 
1761 Mr. John Levitt was returned for Lichfield, but on petition was declared to be not duly elected. Parliamentary History, Volume 15, page 188. Perhaps he was already aiming at public life. End of footnote. I will give a note for the money, payable at the time mentioned, to any one here that you shall appoint. I am, sir, your most obedient and most humble servant, Samuel Johnson, at Mr. Osborne's bookseller in Gray's Inn. End of section 16.